So after that, you went to work at Facebook. Facebook on the Facebook Watch team. So tell us about how that opportunity came about. Um, so again, actually, so I was very much um, pursuing Shopify, and what was interesting is it was kind of the re reverse for Facebook. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Attila TV. Our guest for today's episode is the wonderful Annie Zhang. Annie is actually a product manager at Facebook, working on the Facebook Watch team. And before that, she was a product manager at Shopify. So she's worked for one of the coolest tech companies in America and the world. And she's also worked for one of the coolest tech companies in Canada. And before that, she was actually the first employee at BrainStation. And before that, she actually got acceptance into one of the top business schools in Canada, the Ivy Business School. And this blows my mind. I actually have so much respect for her for doing this, for having the courage to do this. But she actually turned out an acceptance into Ivy Business School because she wanted to do, go a separate path. So hopefully we can get, learn a lot from Annie's story today. So without further ado, Annie, thank you for joining us. So let's go back to Annie at 16. What were you like in high school? Yeah, so at 16 in high school, I think for those who didn't know me super well, they would probably say that I was pretty friendly, social, and extremely involved in extracurricular activities. Um, for those who were closer to me, they would probably describe me as being overly perfectionistic, a little bit uptight, and more introverted. Um, so to bring more context as to what my high school life looked like, um, I went to an arts high school, and I did flute performance within the arts high school. Um, during high school, I was also a competitive figure skater, and I was involved in a lot of other ways as well, like being the yearbook editor and doing a lot of re re uh, leadership opportunities. Um, so I would describe my teenage years as a period where I actually had very deep insecurity, and at points I was honestly pretty depressed. And I think the reason for that was um, I had this sort of deep-seated knowledge that I couldn't be confident yet in myself until I was able to go through really challenging experiences and actually triumph them. And I know that sounds really, really deep and weird, but um, I didn't really know what was something that was good to do or what was something that was bad to do. I didn't know if something was recognized as really awesome or not. And so I really sought out that approval from the adult figures and teachers within the school and um, just people that I respected. And that was very deep-seated in the life of Annie as a teenager. And I just constantly tried to push my limits and what I was able to accomplish in wow. order to get that approval. That was, that was a very, very profound answer. Wow. You seem to have a lot of <laughs> self-awareness. How, how did you, like, when did you make that realization about, like, reflecting on your high school career? My question is more along the lines of like, when did you make that realization? So like, was this something you realized in like first year or second year? Like, how did you like reach that level of self-awareness? Yeah, so um, I think I was trying to get to that is it was a process where it got to 
to a point where I knew that I wasn't doing the right thing and I wasn't listening to the right signals. And it's really took a process in getting better and better at it. And I think I continually try to build more and more self-awareness, but starting in university, I reflected a ton about, you know, what happened in high school, what I was able to achieve, what I was proud of, and what I want to change. And I think that was where, you know, a lot of reflection on a constant basis started to happen. Interesting. So let's go to, let's say grade 12. So grade 11, grade 12 year, you know, you're about to graduate high school, you think about what to do next in university or college or whatever you're planning on doing. Sort of what schools are you looking at? What programs are you looking at? Where was your head at? Again, as I mentioned, I went to an arts high school, which meant that my preferences and interests were significantly influenced by that environment. Um, at the time, I was just really, really obsessed with figure skating, and to be honest, my dream job was to be a professional figure skater. Um, also, being in the environment where a lot of people really cared about the arts, and a lot of people were going to pursue music, dance, visual art, what have you, in college, that was not really out of the question for me either. So um, for the most part, I was like, yeah, whatever. Like, maybe I'll just keep on doing music or I'll try to become a figure skater. When it came to grade 12, the reality of needing to apply for university dawned much more. And that was when I figured like, hey, I'm really passionate about psychology and I love to watch how people operate and learn about what people are motivated by. Um, and as a result, I thought I was going to go into psychology and the social sciences were what most of my friends went in as well. Um, but what happened was my parents last minute, I think two weeks before university applications, brought up the idea of Ivy and business school. Um, at the time, I had no idea really what business school entailed. Um, my school was so artsy that they pretty much, I think, cut the business class and the economics class. So I really didn't know what it was, but what they told me was, hey, you know, if you want to pursue psychology or something in the social sciences, you'll probably have to get a PhD or a very high degree in order to get a good job. You probably don't have the patience for that. Why don't you try business, which is a little bit more practical? And if you go to Western for IV, it's a two plus two program where you can do two years of whatever you want. And then at that point, if you still want to go into business school, you can go into business school. I thought that was actually a pretty reasonable ask for my parents, and that was what I ended up deciding, to go into Western um, as a general social sciences, I think, student, mm -hmm. and then to also apply for the AEO status. Awesome. So now let's talk about your university career. And actually, while we're on the topic of university, I want to publicly thank you for... So me and Annie actually met because... I was interested in going to the NBTC, which is, I think, the largest business and tech conference in Canada at the time, and I think it's still running. And she was actually one of the organizers, and she really went out of her way to help me attend the conference for free. So I just wanted to thank her for that and also pay it back by, if any of you guys are interested, definitely check out the NBTC conference. Anyway, so now you're at Western, and you're currently in your AO year, and then so talk to us a bit more about, and then this is what I find absolutely crazy, because I feel like so many of us at Western put the Ivy Business School we hold it in really high regard, like I'm in the program as well. But you actually chose not to take up your AEO stats and go into the Ivy program. And why did you decide to go that route? Yeah, that's a really good question. So I think in hindsight, it just seemed like a very obvious decision. But I know for a lot of you who are still in school or 
pre-Ivy, this sounds like the craziest decision ever. Um, I guess the context to how I made that decision was after going into Western from a very artsy background, um, I felt completely like a fish out of the water, especially in first year. Um, I had a lot of really interesting experiences, but they were not relevant at all towards sort of the career path that Ivy was sort of pushing me on. Um, and comparing myself to a lot of my peers who also had AEO status, everyone seemed extremely suave, everyone was incredible at networking and, you know, could have the perfect uh, networking pitch in their sleeps. Um, they also had a ton of relevant experience within high school to prepare them for business school. And I just didn't really have any knowledge of all of that. Um, and to add on to it, when I started to engage myself with more of the business clubs and opportunities around business, um, I just didn't really find my stride within it. Um, I felt that a lot of the activities and the clubs were extremely structured um, they were extremely formal, and it really felt like it was just pushing people along a pretty um, established path of like what you should do, and here's the output that you're gonna get from it. And that was when I realized, you know, I tend to thrive more in flexible environments where there is a lot of ambiguity and a lot of problem solving that could be involved. Um, I tend to think a little bit more non-linearly, and I hate structured environments. And so a lot of these environments really made me feel uncomfortable and completely like a fish out of the water. So throughout my first year and second year, I was really trying to find my passion and understand whether or not going into business school is actually a good idea. And what really got me out of my confusion <laughs> was I went to this one event that was held by the NSPAR Innovation Network, which was this large business and technology nonprofit in Canada. And that introduced me to the world of technology on entrepreneurship, something that I had known nothing about. And I think it was through all of second year when I was actually leading the Western chapter of NSPAR um, that I realized that probably entrepreneurship and innovation was where I wanted to go. Um, and your question is, why did I turn down Ivy Business School? I think there's a lot of con uh, context building to like drive towards the ultimate decision. But um, in the summer before going into third year, I also worked for a startup called BrainStation. And um, it was actually a company that was made up of four, or I think three out of the four founders were Ivy grads. I had so much fun um, the entire year with the startup. I learned so much. I really felt like that was the environment that I belonged in. And I even started a blog that summer where I just interviewed a bunch of entrepreneurs and creators. And every single conversation that I had were just so engaging. And I really felt like those were the people that I belonged with. Um, and so I had an awesome experience at a startup that I felt super engaged in. I really learned a lot and I wanted to do more of. And then I was also surrounded by three co-founders of that company that had gone to Ivy. And when I had asked them like, hey, do you guys think it's a good idea for me to pursue Ivy? And them knowing who I was and what I was interested in, what I was passionate about, they all actually suggested against it. Um, wow. Not that really, yeah, not that really I was going to choose otherwise had they not suggested um, that, but- It was more it was like really a validation of what you already wanted to do. Exactly. 
Um, and the final piece, again, there's a lot of context, and I feel like I'm really trying to wrap it in a very tightly, uh, you know, a tight little answer. Um, is I did have an alternative to going to Ivy that I felt was even more compelling. So um, towards the end of summer of second year, I had worked for BrainStation, which is a like basically a um, development bootcamp company, and I was able to pick up on you know development web development skills. Um, and they were also thinking about expanding BrainStation to London, and I was like, wow, that's super cool. Like maybe I have an opportunity to lead the expansion of a company towards a new city. Um, another opportunity was that uh, I got the um, senior vice president role for Enspire, which is this business and technology nonprofit that I talked about. And throughout my entire time with Enspire, it's given me so much exposure to the industry. So many of the executive members of Enspire were working on cool tech companies or um, ideas and like startups and I felt like that was actually providing a really good network for me to excel my career within um, startups and tech and then um, I was also working on really cool projects on the side because I had picked up on web development skills some iOS skills some design skills over the summer at BrainStation I was doing like side gigs and building websites for people as well so um, I just felt like there were so many things that I could be working on that was going to accelerate my career and that if I had chosen to go to Ivy, I wouldn't have time to pursue any of these other alternatives. And these al other alternatives were way more compelling and way more aligned to what I want to do in the future rather than going to Ivy. That's awesome. That was a bit long-winded, but awesome nonetheless. <laughs> I mean, it's not a small decision. And yeah. I think for everyone who is considering that as an option, I wouldn't just make it on a whim, right? Yeah. And there is a lot of context to why that was suitable for me, mm -hmm. but I wouldn't just suggest people to not go to Ivy. It's a great school. I think you get a lot of learnings and a lot of networking from that opportunity, and you really have to understand what, like, and critically think about your decision before you make it. Well said, well said. Okay, so then, so you don't go to Ivy, you end up getting a regular Western degree, which is fine. And then, uh, so now you're time to recruiting for full-time jobs. And then you, so tell us, because I remember, I remember we went to, I think we went to an art gallery that time, and I remember you were recruiting for Shopify. Wait, we went to an art gallery? You don't remember this. Oh, right, the one at Western. Yeah, Ma Macintosh. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the most bizarre place ever. I really did not understand. <laughs> so one of the things I remember is I remember you were showing me, like, all the stuff you were doing to recruit for Shopify, and you really went above and beyond. So can you tell us a bit more about how the Shopify opportunity came about and what you did to get that position? Totally. Um, again, need some context building, um, and I'll try to get through it quickly. So uh, by the end of my university time, um, I had tried a lot of different roles, um, anywhere from doing digital marketing in my first year um, to working at BrainStation and kind of doing anything and everything from business development to marketing to ideating on new ideas to ops, as well as picking up on all these web development skills and doing a lot of freelance web development. Um, and then in my third year of university, um, the job that I had was working as a data analyst in, at Pivotal Software. And that also provided me with really good technical knowledge on you know, data analysis, what have you. Um, and then all throughout university, I was very involved with Enspire Innovation Network, which was the tech and um, 
business nonprofit that I was talking about, that gave me really awesome leadership skills. And so from all of these experiences, it kind of made me into a pretty well-rounded individual Mm -hmm. where I had like kind of dabbled in everything. I kind of had like some domain understanding of every function within a company. Um, but I didn't necessarily see myself playing a very deep role and like only solely doing one of those things. That was when I really learned a bit more about the product manager role and what that entailed. And I really liked the idea of being able to rally a team towards a common vision. And I really felt like I was good at that through my leadership experiences. And so um, going into job hunting after school, Um, what I wanted to do was A, find a product management role, which is very difficult for a new grad, and then B, work at a very high growth company that was, you know, more than a thousand people or approximately at a thousand people. And the reason why I felt that was super important was um, through all of my experiences in internships, I had small startup experiences where you know, you're very much a generalist and you had to do anything and everything to working at a big company like Pivotal where you didn't really feel like you had too much impact. Um, I felt like choosing a company that had a really good growth trajectory um, as well as being at a good size where you can get mentorship and growth opportunities and learning opportunities while still having really awesome internal um, company opportunities to grow and take on new opportunities. Um, I thought that was a really good setup. So that was why I wanted to work for Shopify um, and how I got the Shopify role. So um, again, I knew that being a product manager was going to be super difficult. It was kind of not something that people were able to do immediately outside of school. And so what I did was first um, try to leverage my network as much as possible. And at this point I had in, you know, networked with a lot of people, knew a lot of people in the industry. One of the girls that I knew worked at Pinterest, and actually Pinterest was another company that I had wanted to work for, so initially I had asked her for a referral for Pinterest, Um, and when she told me that Pinterest was going through a reorg and they weren't going to actually be able to hire anybody, I was really disappointed, but she told me like, hey, I actually know people at Shopify, Shopify is killing it, why don't I just make you a warm intro to the product team at Shopify, and she did, and so that was kind of how I got my in the door with Shopify Um, but the process was honestly extremely extensive Um, prior to me actually speaking with this product uh, growth lead at Shopify I had applied for basically every other role available at Shopify to me right I think I applied for like business analyst role a sales hacker role like growth marketing role everything under the Sun just because I wanted to work for this company so badly and I think I was like at a certain point talking like five different at the same time. They knew none of those other roles were what I actually wanted. And I knew that I just really wanted this product role. But I also knew that this guy had wanted nothing to do with me. Like, he liked talking to me, but he was not about to hire a new grad. And so I really, really hustled and tried to think of creative ways to really make myself stand out to him and really make me feel like I could add value to the company. So at the beginning, um, after our initial coffee chat, what I did was try to extract from him any information about the current existing products and where there are areas and gaps that could be filled. And, you know, we talked a lot about different areas within Shopify. 
And as a follow-up to that conversation, I actually decided to create sort of a case analysis or a case study around a app that they had in the, at the time that I thought should have been deprecated and hmm. was not a really good business decision. And so I created this very extensive case about what I think about this app, like what its value is, what the pros and cons were, and what I thought was a really good decision to make, and kind of walking through that product thinking process. Um, and then that was how I followed up. I was like, hey, you know, it was really awesome to meet for coffee. Here's my awesome, like, five-page analysis on why I think you guys should deprecate this app. Um, and I think by approaching conversations in that value-added way, where you're not just asking them for their time, but you're saying that, like, look at what I did to prepare for our next conversation. That's going to be a very valuable use of your time, I think was what got me the second conversation. <laughs> so we had the second conversation. I had presented, you know, my analysis and my case study to this guy. Um, I think he was impressed, but again, like, there was no follow-up from him and it was really up to me to continue driving forward that conversation and so that was when i thought about the next thing i was like okay <laughs> what if i wrote a cover letter that was a buzzfeed article about all of the reasons why annie is going to make this company and this well, well sorry all of the reasons why annie is the most awesome person for this role and it was kind of like a quirky, witty way of walking through all my experiences and why it is that it would be relevant to this product growth role. Submitted that to him, kind of was able to get one more conversation, one more coffee chat. At that point, he still was not really giving in and was not really willing to take me on to his team. And so that was when I kind of like made my final uh, um, effort. And what I did was um, Shopify really values entrepreneurship and people taking initiative, and I knew that was a core part of their values. So what I did is I created a Shopify store, and every item within the Shopify store was selling what I would do for every single day that I would be at sh sh <laughs> What I would do every day at Shopify. Yeah. for the first like 30 days um, and I sent that to him and I think finally after doing that um, we got the ball rolling on interviews so and that was just to get an interview wow that was just to get into the formal interview process although I think at that point like the product lead who was going to be the hiring manager was pretty sold and he was going to be an advocate for me um, so even then, what is important for people to know is that, like, I still felt like he was worried about hiring somebody that didn't have previous product management experience for that role. And what another mentor had told me someone else did was to pull the intern card. And what the intern card means is, like, I told them, hey, you don't actually have to hire me full time. Just hire me as an intern, a product management intern, product growth intern for the summer see how I do and if I do well hire me on as full-time if I don't then just kick me out like it's all good and by understanding that you know making a full-time hire is a pretty big commitment and by trying to take that um, commitment away from my manager needing to like taking that commitment away from the hiring manager really helped me again get my door even further in um, and yeah I guess it's history from there 
I worked at Shopify for four months as an intern. Um, I think I did a decent enough job and then I was able to stay on full time. Wow. I feel like that's a classic Annie story. The fact that you probably put more effort. <laughs> yeah, because I think you put more effort into that one job than most people I know put into their entire job application process. So that's pretty impressive. I'm glad your hard work paid off. So you interned at Shopify for four months and then you worked there full time for how many? How many? Uh, like a year and a half. A year and a half. So after that, you went to work at? Facebook. Facebook, on the Facebook watch team. So tell us about how that opportunity came about. Um, so again, actually, so I was very much um, pursuing Shopify and what was interesting is it was kind of the re reverse for Facebook. Um, after my time at Shopify, Shopify is within the e-commerce space and um, I think something, Shopify is an incredible company and I think most of the merchants that it powers are awesome and I really love the industry that it's in, but it is really fostering consumerism to an extent, right? Interesting. <laughs> and I sort of had this moment where I felt like I wanted to work on something that was um, more socially impactful, for lack of a better word, quote unquote socially impactful, whatever that meant. And I had this idealistic vision that, you know, I was going to move to a third world country or a developing country. I was going to work for a smaller startup in um, a space that was more fundamentally necessary for humans. So what I mean by that is things like healthcare or energy um, or education, where like if people actually didn't have that, then their lives would be significantly worse. Um, and that was where I sort of started my journey. I went to, I went on vacation to Asia and I just really liked the energy of it too. I felt like there was gonna be a lot more new opportunity and ability for innovation to disrupt within developing countries. And um, I was like full throttle looking for opportunities within that space. Um, so what happened was, I deep dived into like looking out for opportunities for like months and so I was doing a deep dive and basically I came to a couple of conclusions. One, there are not that many ethically good startups out there. You know, there's a lot of really awesome startups out there that are trying to solve really interesting problems, but um, the variables that will enable a startup to succeed are complex and you know, sometimes it takes a lot of expertise and a very strong team to build a product especially for something that's quote-unquote socially impactful um, so uh, and then the other finding is that quite honestly I was somebody who had two years or less of industry experience and I didn't really have specialized knowledge around healthcare, education or energy or any of that and so I needed to be a little bit more not humble but realistic about what opportunities I actually had accessibility to when it came to looking for cool opportunities or cool startups to work for. So um, I found this one startup that I became totally obsessed with. It's called Zipline and it's a startup based out of San Francisco but they operate in um, Africa and what they are is a drone company that delivers blood supplies. And what's really, really cool is that their drones are able to deliver blood supplies to very rural areas of Africa that doesn't really have access or quick access of blood supplies. And one, oh yeah, so they're able to deliver within like 15 minutes to anywhere in the country. 
um, and 25% of their blood deliveries are life-saving. And I just thought like, wow, this is the coolest thing ever. The team is also badass. They're a bunch of like ex um, SpaceX and NASA people. And it just seemed like they had really good investors too. And I was like, wow, this is a really good opportunity. Um, unfortunately, I got rejected. Mm. And so that forced me to look for other opportunities. And that was when Facebook kind of came up. So I was at a conference that I had already signed up for months ago. It was the Women in Product Conference in San Francisco. And I was honestly not super engaged at the conference. I didn't really know too many people either. And you know, I was really bored, so I figured like whatever, I'll just talk to the recruiters and see what emerging market opportunities some of these companies had. And when I talked to Facebook, they were like, yeah, if you wanna do you know, something related to emerging markets, we have this thing called internet.org and our connectivity efforts. And if you guys don't know what that is, basically Facebook was creating these internet drones that would fly over developing countries and beam down internet so that people who didn't have internet access could gain internet access. And when she kind of told me about that, the pieces kind of came together in my head where I was like, huh, I really like emerging market products. I really like the internet and I know a lot about the internet. This might actually be a good fit for me. Mm -hmm. So that was when I went about going through the interview process. And, you know, quite frankly, I worked really hard in practicing for the interviews and really, really being able to answer questions in a nice structured way. And surprisingly, I got the job. So that was how I got into Facebook. Um, you're probably going to ask me why I'm not working on emerging market internet products. Yes, yes. Yeah, so what happened was I applied for the product manager generalist role, and that's actually what most product managers at Facebook come in as. Um, this gives you the ability to not actually select a team to be, um, uh, what's the word? So basically, you're not hired for a specific team, um, and what you are able to do is come to Facebook and network with a bunch of teams and mutually find a fit for where you want to be. And when I had joined Facebook, unfortunately, a lot of the internet.org slash connectivity efforts were being deprecated. A lot of it was also moving towards the Tel Aviv office, and I was based out of the, San, like, the Menlo Park Silicon Valley office. And... Um, because I had the opportunity to network and talk to different teams, um, I was really exposed to interesting problems that I otherwise would not have had access to. And when I had talked to the video team, um, what was a really interesting pitch to me was that Facebook, first of all, was trying to get into the video space. And I never really quite associated Facebook with video, but I was like, all right, cool, I'm intrigued. Second part of it was they wanted Facebook to find a way to make videos social whatever that means mm -hmm. <laughs> and i was like huh that's very interesting because if you think about how most people spend their times now um taking an average snapshot of a person in you know north america they probably consume on average one to two hours of video content per day like this is a significant part of their lives and honestly probably not in a good way right this is pretty anti-social behavior where instead of hanging out with your friends or like chilling at mcdonald's with that like after school or something like that you just go home and watch video and i really felt like this was a pretty big problem and you know having mentioned that i really like to solve ambiguous problems like 
social video like how on earth do you create social video and i guess facebook is equipped to have social tools that help foster social relationships but it still seemed like a bit of a juxtaposition or what's the contradiction um but that was what intrigued me about being on the video team and here i am still very engaged with the problem i like that so a couple of things questions about things you said the first question i have is that you said you wanted to work for as you said quote unquote socially conscious company why do you put socially conscious in quotes like that yeah i think it's um more of a mockery of my initial idealism <laughs> towards of my initial idealistic attitude towards that my process in understanding you know what are the different solutions and products out there for some of the more fundamental needs of people um i kind of came to the conclusion that a lot of the things even though it might seem extremely noble just become accepted facts by people once they are accessible right so like for example the strong company that delivered blood supplies that i was so passionate about like obviously the first time it saved somebody's lives in a rural area people were like marveling at this technology and like super excited and just overwhelmed by like what technology was able to do but the matter of fact is quite honestly 2 years later when um this technology is readily available and everyone has access to blood it starts to become taken for granted and it just becomes the norm and the impact that a bag of blood is able to make on a person's life could be similar to the entertainment or um joy that somebody experiences watching a really cool drama right and so at least my personal conclusion is that there is by a lot of millennials this idea to do things that are very socially impactful and you know helping people of need etc but the reality is like your life normalizes based on what you have access for and you know no matter what you get it's going to normalize and so you don't necessarily have to be working on a lot of these very fundamental technologies that are sort of serving like the most deepest human needs mm-hmm. <laughs> that in order to be impactful and or or in order to do something of value so i mean like working on the video team at facebook there are times when i question like is this the best t- thing that i could be spending with my time and there are times when i question that but for the most part like i do think that it is a really compelling problem and if a lot of people are spending their times doing this you might as well try to make it a better experience or a more engaging experience or more social experience and it's you know not any less valuable than delivering blood supplies using drones or at least i think so that's sort of a hot take cuz i feel like a lot of people are going to strongly disagree with you but i actually see where you're coming from i think that's a very interesting way of looking at it um So a question I have too is that so you mentioned that you studied really hard for the product manager position at Facebook and I know especially at university right now Facebook is probably the one company both as a software engineering and business student that a lot of people really want to work for and like it's really competitive to get a position at that company so can you tell us a bit more about how do you prefer how do you prepare for the Facebook interview and any advice you have and what's the process like I'm um, sure so 
before we even dive into that question, like probably not everyone wants to work for Facebook, right? It's still like, you know, some people might want to work for Facebook, some people might want to work for Uber, some people might want to work on McDonald's. You know, I, I, always, I always say in life, there's absolutely no absolutes. So even if I said who wants $100, not everyone's going to say I want $100. So. So a question so, for you I would have, sorry to cut you off, is um, when you were preparing for the Facebook interview, for example, how were you preparing? So at first I went on Glassdoor and looked at all of the uh, interview questions that other people had put on Glassdoor through their experiences and sort of just like had an idea of what to expect. Um, and I think I tried to do a few practice mocks at first just like without any practice or any preparation, what I was able to deliver so that I had a baseline understanding of like what internally I had as my knowledge base. Um, 
And then the second was actually just having a lot of discussions around relevant topics. So I find whenever you do mock interviews, you tend to be in a very high pressure situation where you're like kind of having, um, uh, what's the word? Like fight or flight responses. And you're really just trying to say the perfect thing and not really allowing yourself to think through your answers, get creative and, you know, um, develop new opinions or perspectives on things. So I actually had just like a lot of conversations about the industry with people. Like I would just, you know, call somebody up and be like, hey, like, let's talk about Messenger. Like, let's talk about why Messenger is good, why Messenger is bad. Like, what could they be doing to make it better? What are opportunities in the industry? All of that. And so that really kind of got my brain fired up on just like interesting ideas that are creative and out there. And it really pushed the boundaries of like what I thought about regularly. Um, so that gave me kind of a vocabulary of knowledge around the industry that could supplement, you know, a lot of my answers. And then I think the final step was just um, looking at all the questions that people were posting on Glassdoor, figuring out what is the best structure to go about like those answers. And there are a lot of like product management um, interview books out there and they provide you a lot of frameworks i think what's important is to understand the value of each framework and what contexts it becomes the most valuable and actually being very versatile in how you apply different parts of a framework to a different part of a question so mm -hmm. a lot of the times i wouldn't actually like answer a full question in a specific framework i would just think about okay, if somebody asked me this question, what are they looking for? And what is the best structure in framing the problem, framing the solution and like whatever, how you're gonna execute on the solution. Um, so that was another part of the process. And then obviously the practicing part, which is mocking with as many people as possible so that you can not get too nervous during the actual interview. And then apart from Glassdoor, where else can, like, if I was to do a mock interview, for example, Where's a good place for me to find good mock interview questions? Um, so there is this guy, I don't remember. I think his name is Jeremy Lim. I could be wrong. Um, the book Code and Deconquer, I think, was one of the really good books that he wrote. Um, he does like, you know, he has just an abundant amount of books out there. What about cracking the, what about cracking the PM interview? I know cracking the coding interview, I use that for coding interviews. Yeah, I have gone through that book and I don't find it quite as useful. Um, I think mostly because a big portion of the book actually talks about like what to expect or you know what are the differences amongst different companies and there's actually not that many practice questions and extensive example answers. I think a lot of the things that, I think his name is Jeremy Lim, publishes has more just like question answer question answer question right. answer jeremy um, I'll, I'll google that afterwards and i'll add the link to the show notes yeah and you know if I, i'll look it up too and see if i've quoted it correctly awesome so now um so you're currently working at facebook a company which is facebook is currently getting absolutely hammered in the media and i know that in a, a lot of these tech companies facebook google they really value like employee engagement, transparency, all hand meetings. Can you sort of walk us through or take us behind the scenes on like, what's it like 
you know, where your company is getting like, you know, strongly criticized in the media. And the next day you guys have like an all hands meeting or you have internal discussion forums. What is sort of the general mood in the company and what are people saying through this period? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this year has definitely been, or the past year, 2018, has probably been the worst press cycle for Facebook ever. And I think just generally compared to historically bad times for tech companies, like this is pretty bad. Um, I would be definitely lying to say that employee morale is not down. Like there is a lot of contention within the company as well. And, you know, the same way that privacy issues or Russian involvement in elections and things like that affect, you know, the greater public, um, employees will also, you know, perceive it in similar ways. They just have a bit more context. The process that we tend to go through as a company is leadership is very communicative and they are very responsible and they understand how difficult a lot of these issues are and sometimes how unreasonable the press could be. Um, but they are patient about what it is that they have to do to take control of the situation and ensure that their employees do feel included and are able to address all of their questions and concerns. So you pretty much, um, actually just by default, uh, Mark Zuckerberg hosts the Q&A every single week, like every single week. So any employee can feel free to attend, ask questions, what have you. There's been a lot of dumb questions that have been thrown out and it's super entertaining to watch, but also very serious, interesting, or serious good questions. Um, but especially in terms of uh, in times of very bad press cycles, they will hold ad hoc, ad hoc uh, Q&As or more extensive Q&As, and then also bring in specific representation from leadership that actually have more, um, you know, uh, involvement with a certain issue to answer the questions that you have. And also, like, the platform that we use internally as, like, our enterprise software is also Facebook, which is the work version of it, which means that it's incredibly open and really easy to dis dis disseminate information as well as contribute to the dialogue. So if, you know, for example, you have an issue about the integrity of our platform and how we are serving ads and whether or not we are are serving legitimate ads, for example, there are tons of groups that you can participate in, raise your concerns, questions, and hopefully get some sort of resolve from leadership, or you can figure out your own way to tackle the problem. Hmm. Um, so that kind of like segues to the last piece, which is that um, the first day at Facebook, we got this sticker, like a laptop sticker saying, this is your company now. And quite frankly, it's true um, that Facebook is going through a hard time. As an employee, you might not feel great about everything that has been covered about the company, but at the same time, you are actively a contributor of the company. And so you can stand there and complain and, you know, like be dissatisfied or upset about maybe leadership not taking as much action or as much responsibility for a lot of things that are being called out, or you can actually take action towards fixing the problem, whether in a small way or in a big way, if your product area is actually more overlapping. So I think that's what's been happening internally at Facebook. Um, for me personally, it's actually a more interesting time. And I really like being at Facebook in this time because um, it's where there is a lot more challenges. There's more complexity added to how we make decisions and 
by being at a company in times of strain and difficulty, I think you're able to be exposed to a lot more learning opportunities as well. Um, so yeah, I would say that's how Facebook approaches the situation. I do have good faith in leadership of what they think is right and always taking the best action to do is right. And as an employee, sometimes um, it is upsetting when I hear about certain things, but at the same time, it's a really interesting time to contribute back to the company and fix some of the problems that have been called out. That was very well said. If you ever decide to make a pivot from PM, I think you should consider PR. But uh, that was, uh, <laughs> I'm just joking. I, but think, I, mean, I mean, what we do have to do at Facebook as PMs is, you know, brand the hell out of all the products. That, that is true. So it's like PR for products. As many resources as possible. So we do have practice for this. Kind yeah, of that was actually a very well said answer. I like that answer. Um, so I was actually thinking back. I think all three jobs you had, right? I, I think you could say it was was a result of almost like who you knew, which is sort of a theory I have to where like networking and the people you have is like so important in life in general. For people who want to like get into the tech industry, do you have any advice for them on how to network effectively? Where I yeah. Was more easily exposed. That's to that's so actually a prop- way better way of putting it. Yeah. Yeah, like for example, this brain station gig. Um, the reason I had met these brain station guys is I was trying to host the first ever startup and technology career fair at Western. It was super small, and I feel like if they still have one there, it's probably much bigger. There was like thirteen companies or something. And I happened to be talking with these brain station guys. I was telling them how I didn't really feel like I had a competitive advantage going into Ivy because there's no skill sets that made me stand out. And they were like, hey, come work for brain station. We can teach you how to code. And that was a very organic conversation that just came up. Yeah. But obviously I was able to present myself in that environment yeah. as a result of like the extracurriculars and stuff that I did. Um, I think... So I guess the the que- let me rephrase the question based on what you said. I guess the question could be, how can someone put themselves in more opportunities to succeed? Or is that is that what you said? Something about anyway. You know what I'm trying to say. You can answer the question. I know what you're trying to say. Um, I think going back to what I said about how I approached the shop by opportunity which is that in every interaction I had with that hiring manager, I approached it in a value-added way where I didn't think about, where I didn't really talk about what I was getting out of the opportunity. I didn't really bring up the fact that I wanted a job from him for the most part. Um, And I just kept on trying to do things that were helpful to his day-to-day and would actually add value to his job. Overall, I think that is 
the best way for you to present yourself. And it's not necessarily the volume of people that you know or you network with that you're going to get opportunities from, or for some people that is how it works. But for me, I'm very much of a quality over quantity person. And I try to ensure that for the opportunities I'm really chasing after, I do everything that I can to provide, to present myself in a way that is clear that I have value to add. Very well um, said. So another example is like with Facebook and that opportunity. Like I didn't really know anybody from Facebook. I didn't get the opportunity from any referrals or anything like that. I was at a networking event. Um, I was deeply interested. Like the recruiter could tell. I just like wanted to move to freaking Asia so badly to work on this internet project. And then. Uh, about like saying hey I really want to interview I think what I said in the email was like hey it was super awesome to talk to you about you know what Facebook is doing within the internet and emerging market areas like I am so passionate about emerging markets and I love how the internet works and I think it's been apparent through our conversation here is a portfolio of all the other things that backs up my passion around this kind of area and whatever and you know, I'd love to chat more. I don't think I act. I don't think I asked for an interview opportunity at all. But I think by presenting yourself in a way where you're not trying to extract from people and you're trying to figure out how you can add value to another person's life or another organization's life, that naturally presents you as a candidate that people want to accept or like engage with more. So that would be my number one. The other thing I would say is. Um, just don't get yourself into situations where you're pursuing opportunities that you don't actually enjoy. Oh, right? major key, major key. Especially for our generation. Yeah, and I think especially being in IV, if you're already in IV business school, like there's huge pressure to get all the consulting and like investment banking roles. And there's not really an ample amount of that either. And also to be quite frank, there shouldn't be an expectation that everyone wants those opportunities but i think you know i know a lot of people who just chased after those opportunities because it was accepted and they thought that they should want that even though it didn't actually make them happy or satisfied so um that really clearly shows and even if it doesn't clearly show like you're just not going to be able to exert as much effort pursuing opportunities that you don't actually like or feel passionate about than the opportunities that you really care about. So if you are just frank with yourself and you know start early on uh, moving in the direction towards a career path that you're actually gonna enjoy, um, that's gonna save you a lot of energy. Very well said, I like that. Um, so now shifting gears a little bit, I have a question I call the one, the five, and the 25. So essentially, the idea behind this question is, what would you like to be doing? Where do you see yourself a year from now, five years from now, 25 years from now? Okay. Um, so first of all, um, I would like to say that earlier on, say in high school or early university, um, I was pretty like calculated in what I w was working on, what was going to be the output of what was I what I was going to be working on and sort of devising my plan and strategy around like 
how I was going to attain what I wanted or the job that I wanted. And that has shifted quite significantly in the past couple of years where I'm actually not very active in thinking about like what I'm going to do in the future. I don't necessarily go with the flow, but I think I can like listen to myself better and just be more aware of opportunities that come up and then seize the opportunity if it is something that's worthy. But to answer your question, in an ideal world currently, um, I think in a year or two, I definitely want to try something within the realm of startups and entrepreneurship. I don't think that I can sustainably work for people. I love working with at Facebook right now and I love the problems that I'm tackling and I honestly don't see myself leaving in the short term but I have always had innate desire to do something of my own and honestly to not have to work for anybody for the rest of my life so might try a startup of some sort um, in say five years or ten years I think you know if I am somehow able to create a successful startup or you know try a bunch of times and fail too that's okay um i wouldn't actually be surprised if i changed industries um, mm -hmm. so i think a very big driving principle of how i operate is just that i'm pretty curious and i like change and i like to be exposed to new things and um after a while i see patterns within certain industries or certain lines of work and then I get bored and I want to try something else so I wouldn't be surprised if I actually moved into <laughs> a different career I've always been super interested in investigative journalism mm, um, there's these two girls that uh, work on Vice on HBO and they just go to like the coolest places not even the coolest places like sometimes it's really really dangerous like this girl went to a war torn Syria and was in the middle of the action trying to capture what was going on and I just thought that was super interesting so investigative journalism maybe somewhere in my life roadmap um i love food so i've always thought that i would somehow be involved in the food industry whether it is that i like become a chef or like i own a restaurant or what have you that might be in the line too but to be honest i haven't thought that much about my life plan and i'm not super concerned about it either very nice response so second last question I have is I got this question from the Gary Vaynerchuk channel, YouTube channel and the question is what are you currently obsessed with? So this can be anything. It could be a YouTube channel, Instagram account, book, activity, a new device, a new exercise you've discovered at the gym, anything. What are you currently obsessed with? Hint, Sausalito. No, I think actually over the break, it's, it, it's no longer exciting to me. Come on, I love that answer. Okay, fine. So or you can give two, say that and see something else. No, I can just mention it. Okay. The actual thing. Okay. So, um, my boyfriend and I did this thing last year, most of last year, where every single date that we went on had to be a pun. So that not only <laughs> made us get really creative with the things that we could do it also forced us to do really really dumb things that did not need to be done but just for the sake of completing the pun we would do it um so one example is um we got marinated 
basically what we did was we went across the bridge to Marin Headlands for a hike. And then we went to the Marina District in San Francisco to get marinara sauce on our pasta. And then we went to a salon or like a hot tub and we like got marinated. <laughs> so that was really, <laughs> that was really fun. Um, I think we are really running out of steam with these pun dates. So we have to figure out something else fun. But um, I would say another late, latest obsession is, um, you know, I have expressed the fact that I am interested in pursuing a startup in the future. Um, I think that right now the the market for startups is pretty saturated, to be honest. Like, some of the most successful startups that are up and coming right now are all trying to solve very, very niche problems. Like, you know, another Facebook is probably not going to be coming out within the next market cycle, but things like, you know, um, better insurance solutions or like how to, you know, optimize the real estate um, industry is kind of where the startup movement is going. And I'm really having a hard time finding interesting problems that have not yet been solved yet. So my latest obsession has been honestly just like diving into as many things as possible, talking to random people and having random conversations just to generate ideas about like what are still certain problems that are not being solved, unconventional needs that are not being met, etc. and just kind of accumulating it. So that's my new obsession. That is very interesting. And the final question now is just general advice or anything you want to tell people. Maybe like reflecting back on the last 20 something years of your life. What would you say is probably like something you want to tell your younger self or just general advice? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the biggest advice that I would give to people, and it's been a consistent theme throughout our conversation, is just to develop good self-awareness and critical thinking skills in um, approaching the decisions that you make in life, right? Um, think good self-awareness is going to allow you to like prevent yourself from doing things that are not either good for your well-being or just a good use of your energy and it's gonna allow you to go on the path that you should go on much more earlier um and obviously like you're not just gonna know what you want to do off the bat and it takes a lot of experience and sometimes i'm questioning what i'm doing and always questioning if i'm doing the right thing um but to have that constant reflection process and um, taking back your reflections and applying it to your life is super important. The critical thinking part is just, you know, so, um, contrary to what everybody is telling you is good or contrary to what other people believe is true, really analyzing whether or not that is true or true to you and really, really making sense for you. And if it's not, then, you know, take your own lens on it and really um, create your own perspective on things. I would say the other thing that I would suggest to people is really be a good person in general. Um, I know networking is a huge thing for people in school or early career folks, but 
quite frankly, you're not going to engage with everybody that you've like had a networking chat with or you've had a coffee with. I think it's better to um, develop lasting relationships. And I think the best relationships that are formed are um, situations where you actually have to work with somebody towards a common goal or interact with someone in some way. So people that you're working together on through projects or your manager at work or, you know, somebody that you've seen as doing really cool things and you just decide to follow them around. Like, I think those are more of the more meaningful in, uh, interactions that you can have. And I would push you to foster more of that and continue to maintain those relationships rather than constantly seeking out and trying to develop new, but maybe not as um, strong of networks. Um, anything else? Um, I should... Yeah, if you have anything else. Okay, I was just going to say that um, the, the point you made about self-awareness is, very, is a very good point. I don't know if the question I'm about to ask actually has an answer, but how can someone develop self-awareness or improve their self-awareness? Yeah, <laughs> that is a super tricky question because um, the space that I work in, you know, machine learning and like artificial intelligence has actually become a big part of video, video recognition, you know, classification, all of that. And for those of you who are geeks out there, um, self-awareness is actually one of the hardest um, principles to crack within computer science mm -hmm. because, you know, once a entity is able to gain self-awareness, that's kind of what we define as reaching almost humanness, right? And I feel like I'm really going on a tangent here, but... Um, yeah, that question was meant as more of a conclusion than to go on another tangent, but no, like, if you have something to add, I, I, like, you're going on a really good point, though. I feel bad for cutting you off now. So, I think, I think personally, like, I don't know if I'm actually super self-aware. Like, I could be delusional, and I could actually be reflecting on facts that are not true, or um, taking in signals that are not representative of the world, or modeling the world correctly. But I would say to develop more self-awareness, I think you just need to um, try as objectively as possible, look at situations and experiences that you've had, and you know identify all the variables that were part of the situation and just think about like what you did in that situation and like what were the results of that situation mm -hmm. and then also if you were to play that scene over again and if you tried something differently what would have changed given similar variables or if a different variable changed it's like just playing stimulations around your <laughs> stimulations around your life and scenarios that have happened in your life is one good way to start. I think the other way is just diversifying the signals that you get from like understanding yourself and your actions, right? Like even though maybe you can be journaling at a coffee shop for like six hours about this recent interaction you had with a coworker that was negative, you know, you only have your perspective on like how you perceive that situation. Maybe in that situation, when you have a third party who is able to give their perspective on the situation, they can offer another perspective that is also valuable and has more novel insights, mm -hmm. right? So 
that takes away from you just thinking about what you're doing and also getting other people to tell you what you're doing. Um, but that is, I think, a very overly analytical way to approach the situation, but quite frankly, how I try to be better at being self-aware. I like that. And I wouldn't say it's overly analytical. I'd say it's the right amount of analytical. And also to build on your, your question too, something else you can do that I try to do to help me develop my self-awareness is just reading up on cognitive biases. So like, mm -hmm. um, there's this book, Influenced by Robert Cialdini. There's also someone I love called Charlie Munger. So just Google like different cognitive biases, see which ones you use when you make decisions in the past. And that's another great way to develop self-awareness. But anyway, yeah, Annie, thank you for your time. If someone wanted to reach out to you because they, they loved what you were saying, they wanted to ask you questions, what's the best way for people to reach you? So, um, I'm not the best at responding, but I will try to get to people as quick as possible. Awesome. Annie Zank, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. It was a pleasure talking to you.